What's up, everybody? I got a question for you. Do you like Grindhouse Lewis and the News? Their early work was a little too new wave for my taste, but when sports came out in 83, I think they really came into their own, commercially and artistically. They have been compared to Elvis Costello, but I think Chris and Jordan have a far more bitter, cynical sense of humor, especially their undisputed masterpiece, Hip to be Dead. Hey, Paul. Try getting another reservation at Dorzia now, you stupid bastard. Welcome to the show. I am your host, 80s American Consumerism, and that is my co-host, a naked man covered in blood, running with a chainsaw. And today, we are covering another New York serial killer movie, not on purpose, and also another cult classic, Mary Heron's American Psycho from the year 2000. Yeah, it's kind of coincidence we did two New York serial killer cult classic movies back to back. Yeah, I think this was actually chose first. And then uh, when you explained to me what Maniac was about before we did last week, I was like, oh no, that sounds like the same movie. I was thinking about it earlier, and they have a lot of comparisons to them. Much, um, di- much different feel. Oh, very different feel. Uh, one of them is like kind of a poor serial killer in like poor, crummy New York, and this one's like a rich serial killer in like rich New York. Yeah, it's much different New York. The financial district, I guess it is, in the poor district, whatever that, whatever that's, that would that's be called. Like that uh, everywhere else in New York, <laughs> everywhere. We hadn't done slashers in a while, and I don't have any problems stacking some slashers back-to-back. That's cool with me. No. If I found out tomorrow that all we could do from here on out was slashers, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be too upset. Oh, yeah. I'm down. Slasher-only podcast. But first, if you want to stay up-to-date on what is going on with us or the show, talk about or submit your movie request, or just say hey, You can always find us at one of our social media accounts or our official website at grindhousehorrorpod.com. Facebook at the Grindhouse Syndicate Horror Podcast, Instagram at grindhousesyndicate.horror.pod, and many more, which you can find links for in the show notes as always. And please subscribe or follow for alerts on new episodes. And if you really love us and don't want us to get murdered by Patrick Bateman for having a nicer business card, please give us a review. This is the first show on a new desk. We got a new desk. I know you guys can't see it, but we can see it, and it is bigger, and it is uh, cool looking. It's painted. It's uh, We got metal coasters for it. Yep. Straight out of uh, American Psycho. Don't put your uh, ice cream spoon on the desk, please. Fucking bitch. In his defense here, that was really stupid. I wouldn't like, have done that like at someone's he's, house. He's completely like rude as fuck to her through this movie. But who puts a used ice cream spoon on their coffee table? Uh, someone who just doesn't really think about other people's stuff. I guess that's my guess. Yeah, I thought that was dumb. Like I don't blame him. Yeah, but I think I think the new desk is going to bring a lot to the show. Whole new flavor. It's bringing a whole new vibe, I'd say. Nice and flat black. 
the best kind of black. It's got like a tiny bit of shine to it, but not like overly shiny. That's the best way to describe it. It's on bone. It Yeah. It's bone. Raised lettering. It's good. It looks good. It's a good looking fucking desk. American Psycho is a 2000 psychological horror film directed by Mary Heron, who co-wrote this screenplay with Guinevere Turner. It is based on the 1991 novel by Brett Easton Ellis. It stars Christian Bale as Patrick Bateman, a New York City investment banker who leads a double life as a serial killer. Or does he? Or does he? It also stars William Defoe. Jared Leto, Josh Lucas, and Reese Witherspoon in supporting roles. The film blends horror and black comedy to satirize the 1980 yuppie culture and consumerism exemplified by Bateman and supporting cast. The novel, which came out in 1991, was considered controversial for and unfilmable due to its extremely graphic content. Uh, I didn't look and see for sure, but I did read that um, a good example is in the book. Bateman actually kills a kid at a zoo. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I, I mean, I'm Lionsgate would have put it out, I'm sure. There was, too, a scene where his ex-girlfriend, he, like, kept her alive and, like, tortured her, like, with that nail gun for a long time. I guess she finally dies because he cuts her arm off. You know, I'm not going to lie. I, I would I would like to get a version of that. If they did like a 10-part series. If they ever redo this, make it a little longer so it can be closer to the book. I was thinking about what we were talking about in the beginning with stacking slashers. And this this isn't really a slasher. There's a, There's a lot of killing in it, but it's not. What you would get in your typical slasher. No, it's more it's not psychological. Really yeah, psychological. I'd go with that. It's interesting because I think the book is more like graphic and you know what's going on the entire time. But this movie actually, at the end, we find out that we have only been seeing a very small amount of what's been going on. Like, he's killed a fuck ton of people and we've only seen a few of those. And you're really only, you're only seeing it from a, an outsider's perspective. Whereas I'm pretty sure the book, like, you know what's going on the entire time. Uh, I will, I will say this. The scene where he's confessing to kind of what you're talking about, where you find out there's a lot more stuff going on. Those are actually all kills from the book. Yeah, so I did find that interesting. But but despite this, the film rights were bought in 1992 and Heron and Turner began writing the sc- screenplay in 1996. Heron cast Bale to play Bateman, but because distributor Lionsgate Film secured a contract with Leonardo DiCaprio in the role, Heron was dismissed and replaced with Oliver Stone. His partnership with DiCaprio was dissolved following creative differences, leading Lionsgate to rehire Heron under a condition that she could cast Bale as the lead. Principal photography began in February of 1999 in Toronto and New York City. American Psycho premiered at the Sundance Film Festival on January 21st, 2000 and was theatrically released in the United States and Canada on April 14th, 2000. 
The film received positive reviews with praise for Bale's performance and the screenplay. The film grossed over $34 million on a $7 million budget and was considered a box office success. It was distributed by Lionsgate Films and is 101 minutes long. Following the DVD release in 2005, American Psycho quickly developed a large cult following. I cannot speak today. The film experienced a revival of popular interest in the 2020s due to its strong presence in contemporary meme culture, typically centered around Bateman's perceived Sigma male personality. I actually had to look that up because I didn't know what the fuck a Sigma male was. Is that like just a misogynistic asshole? It's this weird kind of group of males. That, uh, you know the whole alpha male thing? The hate women group? Kind of, yes. Uh, you, so the whole alpha male thing, they are sort of like that, but they, they're, they're more like, uh, you know, we don't really flaunt our alphaness. Like, we're the ones you really gotta worry about. We're the ones that, like, uh, you know, are strategic and are, like, fucking people over and we're quiet until we pounce on you. Like, it's really weird like that. It's uh, uh it's like like a bunch of people with kind of hurt egos that are playing them up to be bigger than they are. It's weird, and man. I don't, I don't think the people who use this meme go that deep into it. Going to be honest. No, there's a whole there's a whole like there's a whole there's like subreddits and everything for like sigma male and they use Oh wow, this, so there's people who actually refer to themselves as Yo, them? yeah, this is a whole thing and Patrick Bateman is like one of the um like heroes of the movement. The memes of him are like um you know Luke Skywalker to Star Wars fans. You know, like he he he's like the like a face of the movement. That's 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 really fucking weird. It is weird. Uh, I kind of end, ended up down in a rabbit hole looking at this, and yeah, I felt kind of kind of gross. Grossed out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I felt I felt kind of gross. Yeah, what's what's praise a guy who kills people in gruesome ways? Yeah, it's it's weird. Uh, a direct-to-video sequel, American Psycho Two, was released in two thousand two and was criticized by Ellis, who maintains it is not part of the American Psycho narrative. During casting, Bale flew to New York to audition in Heron's living room. Heron claims that the one of the most important reasons she cast Bale in the main role was because, unlike many of the other male actors that auditioned for the character, Bale didn't think Bateman was cool. That he actually understood the humor of the story and he fit the role. Bale received numerous warnings that starring in American Psycho was career suicide, but this only made him more committed. Yeah, that that didn't work out for the people who said that. No, I think he I think he did quite quite well for himself. I honestly I I couldn't imagine seeing anybody else in this movie playing that role. There was a lot of other famous people that were actually supposed to play this role. I know. Would you say they wanted Leonardo DiCaprio? Yeah, okay, so... That would just be so weird. I won't spend a lot of time on it, but if you notice, the rights were bought in 92. 
They didn't even start writing the script till 1996. The movie didn't come out till 2000. You know, what the hell happened in this big chunk of time? Well, there is a fuck ton of drama that happened with this movie, it even being made. I didn't have enough time to even put half of it in here. So if if you really like this movie and you're interested in all that shit, dude, go check it out because there is a lot of shit. There was a lot of different directors, a lot of different like leading men actors that was attached to this at one point. It it it, it got Freddie versus Jason. Yeah, pro- probably maybe even a little worse. Uh, you think worse? Well, yeah. I mean, they had whole different big time people that signed on to do this movie and wrote whole entire screenplays and got ready to make it and then something would fall apart. Yeah, but with Freddy versus Jason, I, I I know there was a ton of screenplays written for it before they picked one, but I know that that is the primary reason that New Line bought the rights to the character Jason. It, it went through so much like pre-production hell that they had to make a fucking Jason in space so they didn't fuck up the story from the end of Jason Goes to Hell. I don't know. Lionsgate did not want Bale. So they went after why? everybody else. Did, did they, they say wanted, why? Yeah, so, you know, he wasn't a very big fan. He wasn't a famous actor at the time, and they wanted this to be a big-time a, a, a big time actor to do this role. They didn't want a small time guy. And, uh, I mean, they even went after like, uh, one of the, one of the people was, um, you know, you and, you and McGregor and he's, fr- he was friends with Bale and Bale said, Hey man, please don't take this role because I've been trying to get this role forever. I've already been cast and then fired and then I'm still trying to get it. And so he turned it down just because they were friends, but they, yeah, they went after everybody. I mean, they would have had an Obi-Wan. Yeah. A fucking yeah. Obi-Wan American psycho. Yeah, they tried to get, I think when, I think they tried to get like Nicolas Cage. They tried to get all kinds of people, man. Uh, the list is long. And even after they, they solved all this and they got everybody cast and they started filming, there was a fuck ton of problems during filming. I mean, there is a lot of drama with this movie. Principal photography commenced on February 28th of 1999 and lasted seven weeks with a budget of $7 million. Though some outdoor shots were captured in New York City where the film is set, the majority of the filming took place in downtown Toronto, a variety of scenes shot in bars and restaurants around the city. Why do they, like every New York movie, they shoot it in Canada? Yeah, so... Apparently, anytime you ever see a New York alleyway in a movie, uh, Toronto has a bunch of alleyways and it looks like New York. So that's typically where they film that stuff. But uh, I believe it is uh, really expensive to film in New York, which is why they typically don't film there very often. Uh, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, it's way cheaper to film in Canada in a New York-like city. They could have did it Maniac style. Just gorilla shot it. Just, just did it. Just, just do fucking it. do it. Just fucking do it. Yeah, the there, there is. I, t- I probably just told you about thirty percent of the drama that happened. 
Go check it out. Go look it up. There's so much shit. Especially with like Leonardo DiCaprio and everything. That that was that was a whole thing too. So did they start shooting the movie with him? No. He um he wanted to actually like rewrite the movie. Yeah, him and Oliver Stone pretty much didn't like the the version that um was written before and they completely wanted to like change the movie. And then Leonardo DiCaprio didn't really want it. He wanted to like take out all the murder scenes, and he wanted to, he wanted to make it like um, Shutter Island is what he wanted to make. Wow. Yeah, he wanted to make it into like a crazy what's well, going on thriller. That's a good movie, but you don't buy the the rights for a book that is that gruesome and turn around and take all the killing out of it. Why the fuck would you do that? So the ratings, Rotten Tomatoes gave it a 68%, IMDb 7.6 out of 10, and Letterboxd 3.9 out of 5 stars. The average audience rating is a 4.4 out of 5, and if you would like to watch this movie, you can find it currently streaming on Peacock and available to rent on Vudu, Amazon Prime, YouTube, Google Play, and Apple TV. Ready to start this plot? Yep. Let's get into it. All right, here we go. So we start off in the year of 1987 at a very fancy restaurant with some very fancy food. Uh, the lemongrass broth sure sounds tasty. Yeah, I don't know what that is. Who the fuck would eat lemongrass broth? Lemon is lemongrass like an actual grass? Don't know. I was I was thinking it's grass with lemon juice put in it, and it's just. Boiled in water, which is like broth. Or is I, there lemongrass? I don't know. I didn't look it up. Mm. It's a failure on my part. We're not rich enough to know. No. But we pan over to a table that is seating four younger to middle-aged men dressed in suit and ties, sporting fine watches, sharp smiles, and styled haircuts. They all have very shiny hair. Very, very shiny hair. Yes. That, and I assume it's not the L.A. looks. Probably wasn't around yet. It's an 87. It's just like the cheapest shit you could get. They're probably using like $100 hair gels. Oh, yeah. We have uh, Craig McDermott, Timothy Bryce, David Vaughn Patton, and our main character, Patrick Bateman. And these men are young, wealthy New York City investment bankers. One of them thinks that he has spotted a rival investment banker across the restaurant. And this is where we get our first hint that our lead character here, Patrick Bateman, has a serious rivalry with this other banker named Paul Allen. Later on that night, we see the men uh, head to a nightclub that they definitely don't fit in at. It is a very gay 80s, kind of a Boy George kind of vibe going on there. Yeah, I was wondering why the nightclub scene was so 80s. Uh, The female bartender pisses Bateman off when she turns her back. He tells her that he wants to stab her to death and play around with her blood. The next day, we see Bateman's very expensive apartment. It is very clean, organized, and quite minimal. We also see that he is obsessive about physical fitness and his looks, working out for hours in the morning. He also uses a lot of expensive and complicated skincare products, focusing primarily on his face. 
And during uh, him explaining this whole morning routine, he explains that even though he seems like a normal person, acts like a normal person, and has a normal person's life, it is all an illusion, a fabrication he made up to hide the fact that he is very cold and dead inside. Or to quote him exactly, I simply am not there. We then see Bateman head into work at a big fancy building on Wall Street where he has a very nice big corner office and this is where we meet his secretary, Jean. She is definitely more of a like a simple down-to-earth person. She doesn't like dress or act all stuck up. She's really just like, you know, average average girl. She's like the the one normal person in this movie. She is the one normal person in this movie. That that not the redhead. The redhead that he he brings over. The girl he used to know. She's Elizabeth. Kinda, she's kind of normal. Yeah. Uh those two the only two fucking normal people I think in this whole movie. Uh we see that Jean kind of has like a thing for Bateman. She's like kind of shy flirty and Bateman of course is an asshole to her. He Pretty much like leads her on with a little bit of niceness and then he hits her with like some asshole remarks. It's a typical thing throughout this whole movie. It's like don't don't wear that outfit again. Yeah. And then he tells her high heels. I'm like, why didn't why didn't you just hire a stripper as a secretary? Yeah, so later on we see Bateman riding in a limo with his fiance Evelyn. And you can tell he doesn't really like her. He is trying to listen to his new tape player, and she is just talking. Yeah, he looks so weird with his, like, super expensive suit and all this, like, fancy-ass clothes, and he's got what looks like to us shitty 90s headphones. They were, they were... I guess they were good then. They were really good back then. But to us, that's like... I mean, no, those you could you could literally probably go to the flea market and buy a pair of those for like fifty cent. Well, you know, like back then, headphones were huge. So if you were able to get small headphones that still sounded decent, like they were like big time technology. So yeah, they're probably expensive. So she's trying to talk to Patrick about the wedding, but he shuts that shit down. It doesn't seem like he really has any plans to marry her. But anyway, they are on their way to have dinner with some of their friends. Bateman remarks that he suspects that his friend Timothy is having an affair with his fiancée Evelyn. But he doesn't really care because he is having an affair with Evelyn's best friend, Courtney. It's kind of a little confusing. Who's with Lewis? Yeah, so, so Courtney likes to take a lot of pharmaceutical drugs like Xanax, but what is most surprising about her is not her substance abuse issues. It's that she is engaged to the biggest doofus in the building, Lewis Carthers. And this guy is kind of like the nerd of the group. He's like the guy like everyone makes fun of all the time, but somehow like he has no idea. Like he thinks like they're all friends, but really, like, no one really... They only keep him around to make fun of him, I guess. This guy plays a really good, like... Nerd. N- the like, loser. Yeah, oh, yeah. No, and Andy's also uh, closet homosexual. We learn later on. So that adds another twist into the... I guess it's not a love triangle. It's like a a love octagon, almost. 
Yeah, it's um, it's it's he, all over the place. He must have went to Yale. <laughs> that Yale thing. That Yale thing. I wonder if that's real. So after the dinner, we see Bateman go to the oldest looking ATM ever. ATMs were so much simpler back then. It just had a screen and some buttons and a card slot. That was it. That's yeah, all I had. but you couldn't like deposit money or checks into them like oh, you can dude, now. ATMs are the fucking shit now. Yeah. <laughs> ATMs will completely eliminate you having to go into a bank, and that's fantastic. Or one of those drive throughs with the suction machines. Oh, yeah, I haven't used one of those. And I've never used one of those in my adult life. I used one, I don't know, maybe like eight years ago. It's been a long time. Uh, the next day, Patrick calls Courtney up on the old wireless home telephone that only rich people had back then. And he also has some uh, good old VHS porn going on in the background. And he is trying to convince her to go out to dinner with him. She wants to lay in bed all fucked up on pills and wait for Lewis to call until Patrick drops a bomb and tells her that he wants to take her to Dorzia. Dorzia is like the fucking spot. Like nobody, unless you're like mega rich or fucking powerful or important can get like a reservation there. This is like a theme to this whole movie is fucking Dorzia. And I don't think we ever get to see it. We don't. We I'm never like, see they, Dorzia. They play this shit up. They talk about it like 20 times throughout this movie and we never get to see what Dorzia looks like. I wonder if it's wonder if there's a real place in New York. Dorgia. Uh, I don't know. You got to say it like Dorzia. Dorzia. So basically when he mentions that, like she's down. She's like, okay, I'll yeah. go. Yeah, that's that's pretty fucked up. She's like, No, my fiance is supposed to call me tonight and she's like, Oh, you're gonna you're gonna take me to Georgia. Georgia? Fuck yeah, F- fuck his phone call. So he does try to call and get a reservation um at Georgia and the dude literally laughs his ass off at him. So I don't know what's going on with this place. Like, if you got to be a fucking senator to get a table there, but yeah, yeah. It's, uh, being just regular rich is not enough. But Courtney is, uh, fucked up and pretty much passing out. Bateman takes her to a completely different restaurant and tells her it's Dorgia, and she's like, okay, cool, and falls asleep right at the table. Yeah, I wonder if he always orders her food for her, or if she was just too way too fucking high. So he she's just, wasted. She's she is definitely. He said she's on Xanax. She's definitely had at least a bar. I would imagine she is fucked up. So the next day, we see the guys in a boardroom, and then this whole thing makes sense. So while they are all just like sitting there waiting to start, Lewis thanks Bateman for taking care of Courtney while he was out of town. And he says, wow, you took her to Dorgia. How did you get a table there? And Bateman responds, lucky, I guess. So this whole thing was also his like associates or like, I don't know, friends, I guess, if you'd call them that, would think that he got a table at this really exclusive restaurant. That's what the whole, this whole fucking thing was. It was just to look cool. Yeah, this is like, one long, like, dick measuring contest between all these people. Oh, yeah. This is nothing but 
showing off. That's the, these people are like friends, but they're not really friends because they're constantly just trying to outspend each other, outdo each other. That it's just nothing but a competition. You know, it's gross. There's a lot of people out there like this. Oh yeah, I mean, even people that aren't rich, you know, of all different classes, there are people like this. But after this exchange, motherfucking Paul Allen walks up to Bateman and he says, "Hello, Halberstram." Nice tie. How the hell are you? Yes, you did hear that correctly. I didn't mispronounce it. He called Bateman Halberstram. So Paul Allen has always confused Patrick Bateman (laughs) for another man named Marcus Halberstram. And in Paul Allen's defense, they do the same thing for a living. They work at the same firm. They wear the same designer suits, the same designer glasses, have the same haircut, and even go to the same stylist. But Bateman has never corrected Alan. He just goes with it, I guess. Which is kind of weird. Alan's the vice president. You don't correct the vice president, the company you work at. You just go along with it. So one of the guys asked Alan about playing some squash. By the way, what the fuck is squash? I don't know. I have no idea what squash is. I've heard of it, but I don't know what squash actually is. Is it like everybody pull all the money in your pocket out on the table and whoever's got more wins? Well, I'm wondering if is it like a board game or is it like a game like golf? I would. I, I when I hear it, I think of like like a rich, rich fancy like croquet, like something you would see them out in like a a golf course, fake grass yard at a mansion. The family's just croqueting around. Is that how you say it? Croquet? I believe it Am is I croquet. Am I saying that wrong? Uh, Not that I know of. Croquet. I think croquet. that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know what squash is. I meant to actually Google it. But Alan pulls out a business card and hands it over and then goes to take his seat at the other end of the table. Tim asked him about Friday and he says he can't because he has an 8.30 reservation at Dorzia, and everyone quietly comes in their pants. And jealousy. Yes, it has come time. Everyone goes, oh. And now it is time for the famous business card scene. So Bateman pulls out a shiny small case from his pocket. He opens it up and he removes a business card. He places it on the table and he slides it over to his co-workers. He says he just picked them up from the printers yesterday and everyone leans in to look. They compliment the coloring and the font and are very impressed. But then David Von Patten pulls out his card and places it next to Bateman's. But Bateman is not impressed. We see Bateman get an agitated look on his face and then hear his inner monologue voice, his frustration over Bryce liking Von Patten's card over his. But then Bryce pulls out his shiny little card case, removes his card and places it on the table while informing everyone that his has raised lettering. Bro, all the cards look the fucking same. They do. They look, I couldn't really tell anything that they were saying. The comedy of this whole thing is this is a whole like, they're explaining all the fancy shit about their cards and then they show the cards and they look the exact fucking same. Well, this is Even like Paul's. 
Even Paul's card looked the fucking same. And this is like a dagger to Bateman's heart. He is struggling here. He he must want the death blow because next he says, let's see Paul Allen's card. And by the look on everyone's faces, you would think Bateman just asked for the fucking nuclear codes. Yeah, they all they all oh, look down oh, in shame. Oh, like they they won't even card? look at each other. They're like looking down and shit. I'm telling you, it's like a dick measuring contest. And then Ron Jeremy walked in the room. Everybody's like, "Oh fuck!" The card comes out, and they begin to admire the subtle white coloring, the tasteful thickness of it. And even has a motherfucking watermark. Fucking watermark. Which I Can don't, you believe that? Why would you have a watermark on a business card? Because you fucking can. Because you're Paul Allen. And it makes it that much more legit when you have a watermark on it. Like watermark is so people don't steal your like image without you know you getting credit for it. Why would any... I don't know. And, and this breaks Bateman. Like, you see him just fucking lose it in his mind. What is up with him in business cards? What is up with him in anything? Yeah, I know, but the business card, like, this happens again later on in the movie, and it's like the business card thing just sets him the fuck off. Like, how long did he plan his business card out? Because he had just got these made, so he says... Uh, it's It's like he spent weeks thinking about the best business card... I guess material and font and thickness lettering and shit I didn't even know that it was I mean this makes my business card look terrible. I need I need to go get some bone business cards made <laughs> with a with a watermark on it. Got to have that watermark. So later that night we see Bateman walking home down an empty New York street. He heads down an alleyway and comes across a homeless man and his dog. Bateman asks him if he wants some money and food and that he wants to help him in some kind of way. The man says that he is also freezing. Bateman then asks him that if he is so hungry, why doesn't he get a job? The man explains that he had a job but recently lost it and fell on hard times. Bateman then begins to belittle the man and then apologizes. He opens his briefcase and pulls out a knife and starts to stab the man repeatedly. The man falls over dead. Bateman then stands up and begins to stomp the dog to death. Not the dog. What a motherfucker for killing the dog. I know. Like, what the fuck, man? You didn't have to kill the dog. Killing a homeless guy who's down on his luck is fucked up. But you stomped a poor, innocent dog to death. Like, that the guy, you know, he probably did some bad shit in his life. Everybody does. But a dog, dogs don't do anything bad. They're like fucking just innocent. They don't, they don't. The poor dog was evil. homeless too. He, and he was, poor he was naked. Dog. He was definitely cold. He, he didn't have no clothes on. He was naked. This is, yeah, this is, I forgot about the dog part. I'm, I guess I'd blocked that out of my mind. That's, that's I did really too. Up, Th- this man. is now, when I, when I watched it this time, I said, this is now my least favorite part of this movie. Is this like if they if they wanted to cut this, I'd be okay with it. Get rid of it. Just cut the dog part. Yep, I don't want to. And see I don't that. get the homeless guy either. Like he starts opening this briefcase, and the guy's like, "Oh, thank you, thank you, sir." It's like, what? What did he think he was like carrying around a briefcase full of money? 
<laughs> like he was going to pull out some money out of the briefcase. I mean, I don't know. Rich pull... people do stuff, weird stuff like that. <laughs> I don't think anybody actually carries a briefcase full of money unless you're making like a drug deal. Rappers do. Or they can't stop showing rapper. it to people. Oh, <laughs> well, probably half of that money is probably fake money. Movie I think I've seen really a cheap. thing on that. Like they use like fake money all the time. I mean, like, they, they should. They get the more like... realistic looking. Dude, movie money, movie like, money's like cheap yeah, as fuck. Movie man. money, they use uh, they use a lot of that and fake ass jewelry. Uh, we then jump on over to a Christmas party where all the main characters are there. Bateman walks over to Paul Allen, and Allen, of course, mistakes him for Marcus Halberstram, which Bateman continues to play along. And after a while and a bit of small talk, Bateman asks Allen to go to dinner in the next few days. Allen agrees and then leaves the party. Next, uh, we see Bateman and Paul Allen meeting up for dinner at a much less classier restaurant than they usually eat at. We learn that Bateman actually chose this place, and Allen makes a remark about how empty the place is. But Bateman claims that they have really good mud soup and charcoal agalu, which... What the fuck is that? So, I did notice something this time. Did you know how the guy has that giant menu that he's holding? The first two things on that menu, in big bold letters, is mud soup and this charcoal agalu. Ah, uh, and I, I just think read it. Yeah, my that I I caught. I'm pretty sure he just seen it on that menu for a moment, and he made the excuse that this is why we came here. Well, yeah, it's very clear that he couldn't get a. Uh, reservation at a really nice restaurant so he took him here oh no no i i don't think that at all i think he took him here because he he knew he was gonna kill him uh, and didn't want anybody to see them together he, we went somewhere he knew nobody that uh, knew yeah, that would be that's a good point uh so bateman and alan are getting pretty drunk and during the conversation evelyn gets brought up when Alan says that she has a great ass, but goes out with that loser, Patrick Bateman. We see Bateman laugh and offer Alan another martini. Man, I hate great. Paul Allen. He's so fucking smug. I know. He, he, you know, he, Jared Leto reminds me of Paul Allen in real life. He's like a hippie Paul Allen, but he's just as smug in real life. Yeah, I, I just, I fucking hate his character. I'm, I'm so glad that he gets... He gets the axe, the world's shiniest axe. Next, we see Paul Allen sitting in Bateman's living room, drinking a bottle of rum. Bateman is standing next to a stereo going through CDs when he asks Allen if he likes Huey Lewis and the news. He then begins to spout off facts about the band while walking around his apartment. We see him go into his bathroom and put on a clear raincoat and grab an axe. While coming out of the bathroom, he notices Alan looking in his direction. So in order to hide the axe he is carrying, he moonwalks backwards with the axe to his side all the way to the kitchen. By the way, that moonwalk move was improvised by Bale. Telling you, I couldn't imagine anybody else playing this character. Killed it. He killed it, literally. He sits the axe down in the kitchen, and that's definitely a rich person's axe. Like, the head of the axe is like polished chrome. It it's looks, a beautiful axe. It is. It, look, um, it looks it like does, it should be a not, display. Yeah, I was about to say it doesn't look like it would. It was made to be used as an actual axe. No, like, this is a, a display like a, axe for sure. It's like an expensive silver-headed axe. 
it looks like it has a maple, a like nice, nicely made maple handle and a like chrome polished fucking head. Surprised there wasn't like some art carved into the fucking handle or I don't know, Paul Allen's watermark on it somewhere. Uh, Allen asks why Bateman has newspapers spread out all over the floor. Bateman ignores him and cranks the Huey Lewis in the news song, Hip to be Square. He then dances his way to the kitchen, which is fucking hilarious. He picks up the axe and begins to hack at Paul Allen's skull. We see Allen's blood spray all over Bateman. And did you notice how the blood spray only sprayed on half of Bale's face? No, I assume that that was done on purpose. So uh, that's even like the most famous picture of um, of Patrick Bateman's on a lot of T-shirts and stuff where he has kind of half his face covered and, and he's screaming. Yeah, Brooke. And yeah, yeah I, yeah, I think she actually has yeah, that. Yeah, Brooke has that shirt. So the blood was actually supposed to spray on his whole face, but the blood uh, sprayer thing malfunctioned and it sprayed on half his face. But Bale kept the scene going. He's like, fuck it. And he ran with it. And the director thought that it was more realistic, and she kept it in. Yeah. It was a total malfunction. I uh, thought you were going to tell me, like, some deep shit. Like, they did that on purpose to sh- to reflect, like, the half of Patrick Bateman that the world sees, and then the half that's truly inside of him. Oh, uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a They should have just lied. <laughs> that sounded better. Uh, we then see Bateman sneak into Paul Allen's apartment. He packs a suitcase and records a fake message on the answer machine saying that Alan went to London for a few days. I love that he kills him in the full suit. Like, he has the blazer on still and everything. You know, I was thinking about the newspaper. Like, all that blood, man, that newspaper is not going to make a bit of difference. You know what I was thinking? How stupid Paul Allen is. He asked, I think he asked, like, do you got a dog or something? Like, why do you have newspaper and all your furniture covered up? Like, why would that be your first thought? Because I would have asked him, like, are you painting? Like, it looks like you're, are you, are you going to paint in here? Why did he even go to his house? Like, if I don't know you well enough or I don't even. He thinks he knows him. He, th- <laughs> he thinks he's. A whole nother person. If I went out to dinner with somebody that I I guess kind of knew from work and then we, you know, had dinner and then he's like, you want to go back to my apartment? Like, just me and you? I'd be like, no. That's, you know, seems like that's kind of well, weird. Well, these guys <laughs> probably do this so they can see whose apartment's better. Oh, good point. So a few days later, we see that Alan's secretary has hired a private detective to look into Alan's disappearance. He asks some questions, but he doesn't really seem like he is suspicious of Bateman yet. At the end of the interview, he says, you will have to excuse me. <laughs> I have a meeting with Cliff Huxtable at four seasons in 20 minutes. Cliff Huxtable is not a real person. That is... That is Bill Cosby's character from the Cosby's. <laughs> <laughs> the detective doesn't pick up on that, but I immediately I did. That. I started dying laughing. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, when I when I did my research for the movie too, that actually came up as a fact that it's very obvious that he's lying to try to get rid of the detective. Bro, he- <laughs> this is like the worst detective ever. For for one, I wouldn't even have talked to this guy. He's. I, I've never noticed watching this movie that he wasn't like a cop. Like a cop. 
Yeah, it's the first time I think I've ever noticed. He's just like a hired private detective. Yeah. I wouldn't have talked to him. I'd have been like, well, fuck this guy. I don't need to talk to him. And he's like, Patrick starts asking him, like, oh, you know, what what, what do you have? Like, what do you know? And he's like telling him everything they got. and Like, what what detective would tell somebody all your information? Like, all, all your evidence that you do and you don't have. They talk about, like, doing fingerprints. Private, you got fingerprints private, or anything? <laughs> private investigators aren't out doing fingerprints. Um, Unless it's, like, a really good private investigator. Well, that's why he doesn't work for the police, because he's not very good. Yeah, he starts telling them, like, no, like, we know this and we know that, but we don't we don't have this. And it, no, yeah, that's... You're you're literally supposed to do the opposite. Uh, so an interesting thing about this scene is they actually had William Defoe do three different takes. One take being you totally suspect him. Another take being that you know you kind of suspect him, but you not really, kind of in the middle. And then another one where you don't think it's him at all. And he did all three of these, and then they actually cut these up and put them together because they wanted to confuse the viewer of, do we think he's on to Bateman or not? I could see that. Cause there, That's a he, cool idea. There's, there's that one point he asks them something. They ask him, like, you know, where did Paul and go to school? And he's like, don't you know this? And he's like, well, I just want to see if you do. Yeah, yeah. And But, like, through most of it, he doesn't seem like he's suspicious at all. But there's, like, two or three moments in there where... Kind of seems like he thinks he he did it, and yeah. which I don't know why he would. There's no evidence at this point. I thought it was really cool. I love William Defoe. I think he does that. Everything he does is really good. So later on, we get a shot of a woman standing uh, on a corner in a very rundown part of the city. A limo with Bateman in the back pulls up next to her. He offers her some money to come to his apartment, and she gets in the car. On the ride over, we see Bateman order a prostitute over a very, very old cell phone. It's an escort. An escort. I'm he sorry. picked yes. up a prostitute. He ordered an escort. Oh, sorry. I'm like, if you can order an escort, why would you pick up a prostitute? I don't get. I don't. I don't know. I don't get well, why he did it this way either. But I, well, I thought about this, and then then I it, I clicked to me because he really likes showing off his shit to poor people. So instead of just ordering two escorts who are used to seeing this shit, he went and picked up a prostitute, like some poor girl, no, so he could point. rub it in her face. That's no, exactly what he did. I didn't even think about that. But yeah, so he tells the girl from the street corner that she is to go by the name Christy and to call him Paul Allen. The other girl then arrives and he tells her that he will call her Sabrina. So for this scene, we got Bateman as Paul Allen. Corner girl is Christy, and phone girl is Sabrina. Because everyone's going by different fucking names here in this scene. After an awkward conversation in the living room, they head to the bedroom, and Bateman put on some Phil Collins and starts to talk about the band Genesis. He he should have worked in the music industry. Yeah, I, I'm, I was. you would think he was like a music critic. It sounds like he's writing for Rolling Stones every time he yeah. like starts talking about it. A musician or a band. I wonder if he reads what the critics write and he just memorizes it, thinking that's how people talk about music. That That's kind of what it seems like. This totally, totally like, the way he talks, it's like he's reading it from a 
uh, critique of an album. It's hard to say that, though, because he is so, like, you can tell he's, like, that's this is the only thing he is passionate about of anything in his life. Like, there are scenes where he's sitting there listening to music with no one else in the room, and he's, like, he's in it. There's actually, it's funny you mention that. There's a scene where the detective asks him, or pulls out the yeah. Huey Lewis in the news, and he tries to play it off like he doesn't like it. And you can tell, like, he, he can't think of a single bad thing to say about <laughs> Huey Lewis in the news. He's, like, like stumped for, like, five seconds on what to say. It's like, God it's damn, just like, they're, uh, they're, they're just too dark. <laughs> I don't know why. Why wouldn't you just tell him, like, what does it have to do with Paul Allen's murder? I mean, yeah, you murdered him to Hugh Lewis in the news, but the only people that know that's you and Paul Allen. I wouldn't even have said, I mean, I would have just, I'm pretty sure the detective just pulled it out and, and just random conversation. He did, and I'm, that's what I'm saying. I don't know why Bateman, yeah. st- like, stumbled. Just be like, oh, dude, I fucking love Huey Lewis in the news. I thought it was hilarious, <laughs> though. Like, he's, like, trying to think of something bad to say about him, and he can't. He's got all this, like, great shit to say about the album. Like, a whole five-minute dialogue about a, a critique of the album. You can't think of one bad thing to say. So Bateman sets up a video camera and tells Christy to get on her knees and show Sabrina her asshole. (laughs) He then starts to talk about Phil Collins' solo career before interrupting himself to scold Sabrina by telling her, don't just stare at it, eat it. That girl was standing on a street corner an hour ago in a run-down part of town, probably not the cleanest asshole to be eating. He gives her a bath. Yeah, that, remember he. I don't he think her. it was enough <laughs> to. He watches her. He watches her to make sure it's clean. Yeah, like I, makes her bend over. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm. I feel I, like if Sabrina knew where she came from, she wouldn't want to be eating that butthole. I don't know. She's an escort. I'm sure she probably eats some buttholes she don't want to. Yeah, there's some point. some salad tossing going on. Some guys had some bad days at work. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Jack Frost. Uh, we then get a Phil Collins Sue Studio sex montage where Bateman stares at himself a lot in the mirror while fucking these girls. Later on, Bateman gets out of bed and walks over to a drawer and pulls out a wire coat hanger. He tells the girls they aren't done yet. We then see both girls leaving with cuts and bruises on their backs and their faces battered. The next day, we see the guys sitting at a fancy bar smoking cigars, talking about their opinions of women, which, you guessed it, are not good to say the least. Patrick brings up a quote by Ed Gein that says, When I see a pretty girl walking down the street, I think two things. One part of me wants to take her out and talk to her. Be real nice and sweet and treat her right. The other part wants to know what her head would look like on a stick. And I immediately said, that's not fucking Ed Gein, that's fucking Edmund Kemper, the co-ed killer. I wonder if they, whoever wrote that, fucked that up. They did fuck um, that up, because I... Like, the, purposely, yeah. or, did, I mean, did they did they know, or did they... Um, I don't know if they know, I just know that uh, in in the facts of the movie, it is stated that it was quoted as being Ed Gein, but the quote is wrong. It's actually Edmund Kemper. Well, they got the first name right. It's close enough. I 
podcast for them. I I thought it was funny. Nobody was in to the egg egging quote at all. Like everybody was like, "What the fuck?" Yeah. At this point, you know, Bateman finds this hilarious, but no nobody else. They all kind of just look at each other, like, "What the fuck is this dude talking about?" Because that that's dark, man. I don't. Yeah. It's really dark to say. I mean, like, that's a quote from a real person who really did put people his own mother's head on a stick. Yeah. Um, that's definitely a dark place to go, and he. Well, they really don't like women now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they don't. Bateman, uh, they're like, we don't dislike women that way. Yeah, they're Good like, God, jeez, we just want to <laughs> rape them. We don't want to kill them with their heads on a stick. Uh, Bateman follows Lewis into a bathroom of a bar to kill him. Uh, he wraps his hands around Lewis's neck, and Lewis turns around and kisses his hand. This is when Lewis's card like sets him off so much that he's gonna murder him in the bathroom of the fucking restaurant. Yeah, he's losing. Like that's it. what that's what set this whole thing off. That's why I mentioned earlier. Like, what is it with him and cards? Lewis pulls this card out and he instantly just he fucking loses it. Lewis's card is the only card where the the lettering is gold. Yeah, he's like, oh god, he's that's like, new. Fuck. I've never seen that. Why didn't I think of that? It's like this goofy-ass motherfucker went and got these nice-ass cards. I'm done. Everybody went and got new cards right after me. So Lewis then confesses that he has seen the way Bateman looks at him, and he wants him too. This freaks Bateman out, who decides to get the fuck out of there, and as he is leaving, Lewis is confused and asks him where he is going. And a very emotional up and upset Bateman just shouts... I got to go return some videotapes. <laughs> Bro, did you notice he was so freaked out when Lewis, like, started touching him that he, he ran over to the sink and started washing his gloves? He literally was put on, had put on gloves, and he starts washing his gloves in the sink. I don't know why, but I love the line, I got to go return some videotapes. Yeah, I'd forgotten about that. And I, when I heard that, I said, you know what? I'm going to start using that. I'm That's good. I feel like we did. We used to use that at some point, like jokingly, a long time ago. Well, it's, it's coming like back. It's inside joke. It's coming back because, I mean, what's so great about it is, like, obviously, you can't go return videotapes anymore. <laughs> there aren't even any videotapes. Even if there were stores, there wouldn't be VHSs, but... Um, yeah, I don't know, man. My brain just found it hilarious, and I said, well, that's going to be a thing I say now. Well, it's funny because he uses it to get out of, like, just anything. Like, literally, the every time he uses it in the movie, it's like something, it's kind of a major moment. Next time I'm late for work, he'll be like, why were you late? And like, I had to return some videotapes. Bateman returns to his office to find the detective there, and he asks Bateman if he remembers where he was the night of Alan's disappearance. He claims that he was returning some videotapes <laughs> all night. I forgot it was so soon <laughs> after. He's like, I was, I was probably returning videotapes. Yeah, like that shit takes all night. I would be like, do you, do you, like rent and watch movies every night? Like, why would you think it's just a random date weeks ago and you just your first thought is, oh, I was probably returning videotapes. Uh, the line at Blockbuster in New York's really long. Well, you know, I do remember when Blockbuster came out with that quick drop-off. So, obviously, 
you know, this is in 87, so they didn't have quick drop-off. I guess you had to walk up to the fucking counter before that. I don't remember really what we did before the quick drop-off, but... Uh, as I remember, we, you had to get in line and take them to the counter. I, rem- I, th- I remember the quick drop-off being kind of towards the end. I don't know. I remember. I remember using that thing pretty frequently. But so he claims he also had a date, but the detective says that he has different information, and they both decide to give Bateman some time to remember where he was the night, and uh, they decide to have lunch uh, in a week or so. Later on, we see the guys all hanging out at a club with some models. Bateman starts up a conversation with one, uh, and then we see the model get in a cab with Bateman, and presumably head back to his apartment. The next morning, Bateman is sitting in his office playing with a large strand of the model's hair, and we assume she is probably dead. Gene walks in wearing a pretty terrible outfit and has those big puffy shoulders. Good God, man. Everything and she it, wears in this movie's terrible. And it's brown. It's like, it's like shit brown. You know, it's really rude of him to tell her not to wear that outfit again, but good God. It wouldn't be rude to be thinking it. It's a really bad outfit. It is a really bad outfit. All her outfits are bad, you know. Do you, do you know the, the girl's name who played this part? Yeah, Chloe. Um, it's Chloe something. It's, yeah. It's a, it's a, the last name is like Slavic. Yeah, it sounds like Ukrainian or something. Yeah. Yeah. You know, she gave a blowjob in a movie, like a real blowjob. No, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, it's supposed to be like, I've seen it on a ranker list of, I think, real sex scenes in movies or something, but was it was some like kids? artsy movie, and the director is the one who had her blow him. And I was like, that's such a sleazebag thing to do. Blow me for art. It would be really artsy if you blew me. If I remember right, the director wasn't even the guy who she was blowing in the movie. He just played the part for the dick. He just, I'll stand in for the dick. Don't worry about that. Tell tell special effects. Don't worry about making a fake dick. I'm going to stand in. I'm going to take one for the team. Yeah, for art. Blow me for art. Got to do it for art. Anyway, yeah, she's got a terrible outfit, and Patrick asks if she wants to go to dinner. She says yes, and she requests to go to Dorzia. Big surprise. Yeah, I knew that was coming. Bateman says okay, and he calls up and pretends to make a reservation. He tells Jean to stop by his place before they go out, and she agrees. So later on, we see Bateman and Jean at the apartment. Jean is sitting on the couch, and Bateman is looking for a weapon to kill her with. He is asking Jean some questions about her life to distract her while he is looking through what I call his cabinet of death. Patrick settles on a nail gun and walks up behind Jean and places it behind her head. She is sitting there talking, having no idea that she is just moments away from death. Then, right as he puts his finger on the trigger, the phone rings and the answer machine picks it up and it's fucking Evelyn. She wants to know what he is doing and hopes he isn't with some other girl. She calls him different pet names like her little bad boy and her boy next door, which kind of contradict each other. Uh, But this totally kills the vibe and Bateman hides the nail gun next to the couch and sits in a chair to absorb the embarrassment. 
Jean says that she should probably go, and Patrick tells her that she probably should, and that something would ha- uh, something bad would happen to her if she were to stay. Yeah. So two things about this. So before this scene, when she comes in, we see his crossword puzzle. And if you look at his crossword puzzle, like everything written on it, it's like bone and It's meat all like death and, shit, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so this is really the first first shot that we get in this movie that something is severely wrong in his head, other than him killing people. But <laughs> like something, something deeper than that. Like he's he's... Going, he's getting worse, obviously. He's starting to fucking lose it. Yeah, he, he says in the um, beginning, like, his he, he used to be able to contain it to just nighttime and be normal during the day, but now it's starting to kind of peak out during the day. And I think that's, you know, what we're seeing here. Yeah, he's literally sitting in his office writing these fucked up words over and over and over again in a crossword puzzle. Like, he's he's getting to where he is... Losing his fucking mind. Also, why do you think he let her live? Um, I personally think that he, when he was asking her the questions, there was a couple times where he was like, you know, don't tell me you want to work with kids or whatever. And, but she was not giving him the normal answers that like every girl gives him or every person that, you know, that kind of stereotypical, um, just kind of saying things that you've heard other people say. Like, she actually had real answers, and I think that maybe um, maybe that came into play, because when he holds the nail gun to her head, like, he does hesitate for a moment. Like, he could, you know, he, he, he had time to do it. So, I, you know, I wonder if maybe he was, like, you know, this is not as uh, hollowed out of a person as all these other people I kill, these people I surround myself with. This is like a person who actually thinks, actually does shit. Yeah, that, that's kind of how I took it too. She was just so much different than all the other girls in this movie that he kills. She's an actual person. She acts like an actual person. Uh, you can tell he feels bad. Like... He feels bad that he is about to kill her to the point where he's like, you got to get out of here or something bad's going to happen. Yeah. Like, she's just so nice, and I think she's just so much different than than all the other, like, really shallow girls that he has brought there. I assume it's probably easier to kill people when you secretly despise them. And they and they're all the same, you know. They all say the same thing. They all have the same like bullshit answers. Uh, and she was probably like the first person, maybe ever, maybe in a long time, that actually was thinking about the questions he was asking her and giving real answers. I think that she was probably one of the only girls that actually liked him. Like, legit liked him and didn't just like... He's not an accessory. His, yeah, didn't just like his money. He's not a status, you know, or yeah, stepping even stone the girl he's dating, he can't stand. And they're they're kind of just a status thing. Um, it's either money or status. And she's the only one in this movie who he doesn't kill. And she's also the only one that doesn't seem to give a fuck about that type of stuff. So yeah, I kind of took it the same way. Thought she was just too different, way way more different than the other girls in this movie. 
So the next day, we see Bateman meeting the detective for lunch at a fancy restaurant. He asks Bateman if he has uh, remembered where he was the night Alan was last seen. Bateman is obviously very nervous. He tells Bateman that according to Alan's secretary, he had dinner with Marcus Halberstram. So, of course, the detective questioned Halberstram about it, and he denies it. Bateman asks if Halberstram has a good alibi, and the detective says, yes, he checked it out himself, and it's solid. Now, Bateman is very sweaty, very nervous, and quickly guzzles down his whole glass of whiskey. The detective smiles and looks at him and says, now, where were you? Bateman answers back, well, what about Marcus? And the detective says that Marcus Halberstram was in Atlantis with Craig McDermott, Frederick Dibble, Harry Newman, George Butner, and you. A relieved Bateman says, oh, right, I remember now. The detective says that he thinks Alan went a little crazy and split town for a while, maybe even went to London, but he thinks he will turn up eventually. Bateman has dodged that bullet. Yeah, it seems like he just keeps catching breaks here. Or does he? Or does he? Or does he? So next we are back at the rough side of town where we see Christy standing on the sidewalk again. And here comes Bateman's limo. He wants her to get in and come to his place again. She says no, she had to go to the emergency room after last time. He offers her a big wad of cash. He writes her a check. And after some hesitation, she agrees. And if she needs surgery, I think I'd be done standing on that block after that. Or definitely wouldn't be. I'd fucking run when I seen him coming. Uh, We then jump over to Paul Allen's apartment where Bateman, Christy, and one of Bateman's old friends, Elizabeth, are hanging out. We see that Bateman is drugging the champagne that he is giving the women and... Right, Right in front of them. Elizabeth. Like he doesn't even try to hide it. Elizabeth is fucking fine. Yeah, she is pretty she good, is good looking. She is a, a good looking redhead. By the way, she is played by Guinevere Turner, who we mentioned earlier at the beginning of the episode. She actually co-wrote this movie. You know who's not fine? Christie's bangs. They look like they were cut by a child. Bro, I, they're so bad. Like, how did they... Let her be in a movie. I don't know. You know, I I like bangs on girls. I I I love it. But man, them are awful. They're cut too short, and like they, I don't mind. And they curve. I don't mind bangs, but when you cut your bangs like an inch long, I I, I can't stand that. They're when too, it, too short. When it looks like Ray Charles cut your bangs, you're probably doing it wrong. Yeah, she her bangs are are awful, but. But Elizabeth is good looking. Yeah, I guess she makes up for one being so bad. And so after a little bit of conversation, Bateman tells the ladies that he wants to see them get it on. Wrong sound. (laughs) I was confused by the sound there. Yeah, I had the Uh, wrong button. Yeah, you blew that one. Yep. He's like, y'all get it on. Christy, you put on this fucking hat, please. We then cut to the next scene and Christy is kissing all over Elizabeth and she's into it. And here we go. 
Bateman starts talking about Whitney Houston's music. <laughs> Elizabeth starts to make fun of him for knowing so much about uh, Whitney Houston, which I agree. It's kind of weird. Uh, we then jump to Bateman having sex with both women, and he starts to focus on Elizabeth, and Christy uses this moment to grab her things to escape. She then starts to uh, hear Elizabeth like start to moan in like an unpleasant way and notices blood starting to soak through the sheets. Elizabeth is full on screaming now and Patrick looks up at Christy with blood all over his face. Got it that time. He was literally eating her out. I don't know if that was appropriate. <laughs> God, that's grim. <laughs> but that's what happened. Um, so let me move on from that it image like in my you, head. like like shanked her underneath. I mean, the way the blood's like soaks the sheets. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's that's too dark for me. Christy sees this and fucking dips. I don't blame her. She runs to the first door she sees, opens it, and finds a closet with two dead women hanging in plastic. She opens another door to find a bedroom with more dead bodies inside and spray paint on the walls. She turns to run and suddenly Bateman steps into the hallway with a fucking chainsaw. She runs into a bathroom and finds another dead woman lying on the floor and begins to sob. Bateman runs up and starts chewing on her leg, literally trying to eat her alive. Uh, she kicks him in the face and runs off. She makes it out of the front door and starts screaming and beating on the neighbor's door, but no one answers. She gives up and starts running down a flight of stairs, and then we see Bateman come jogging down the apartment, butt-ass naked with only tennis shoes and a chainsaw. How the fuck did not one neighbor come out of the door from, like, there's a woman in the hallway screaming, and then a fucking a chainsaw. chainsaw. Yeah, and, and then in the, the stairwell, that, I mean, that would be loud as fuck. I will say, this is my favorite scene of the movie. Oh. This is, this is the best, this whole, like, this whole part's the best part. Uh, this is where you really see that he's been using Paul Allen's apartment to murder a fuck ton of people that we don't get to see as the viewers that's obviously been going on. Like, as the viewer, we kind of see, like, we only get to see a few parts of him killing people. Most of it is him putting on his normal front, you know, at work and stuff. And this is where you see, like, Oh my God, he's been he's been doing a lot of fucked up shit. He's been killing people. He's been dismembering bodies. He's been like spray painting rooms that are covered in like, like body he's parts. Lo and blood. He's like losing his mind. Well, it's a, he's done lost his mind, and it's like we're seeing him try to hold the, the the moments before he fully goes to that place. Like we're not seeing him in that place. Uh, we're not seeing him like cut up bodies and hack people up and all the shit he's doing at Paul Allen's apartment. We're, we're not getting any of that as the viewers. And I assume that's a lot of what the book does give you. That's why the book is so gruesome. But the way they wrote this, we see the moments where he's trying to hold on to his sanity and avoid killing people. But apparently, the time that this movie takes place... Those couple weeks, he's he is just at nighttime 
been mass murdering people and eating apparently he's like eating their brains and shit yeah so what i do know um concerning the story from the book is uh in the movie his apartment is very clean and nice and organized and in the book it starts out that way but it slowly becomes kind of more and more gross because of like body parts he has in there um the movie the storyline is only a couple months but the book is a storyline over two years and uh once his apartment starts like stinking and being kind of gross that is when he starts doing all this fucked up shit in paul allen's place because no it doesn't really matter over there because he doesn't live there so yeah that's why there's so much more gnarly shit happening at paul allen's is is he kind of had a free-for-all over there. You know, he didn't really have to deal with uh, somebody possibly seeing seeing this. Yeah, and that's all the shit that we don't get to see, and that's why this is my favorite scene of the movie, because we've only seen him kill a handful of people at this point. And when she starts running from room to room, I mean, she's opening, like, closets, and there's bodies hanging. Every room she goes in, there's, like, multiple dismembered bodies, like... You don't really, the first time you watch this movie, you don't realize that it has gotten this bad. And it kind of shocks you every time she runs into a new room. There's like three or four cut up bodies in there. And uh, I just, I remember the first time I seen this movie, that's sticking out to me like, holy shit. It feels like you make a, you make a jump in the story. It's like, you know. Yeah. But but we don't. This has all been taking place over since he, he killed Paul Allen. So you realize at this point, we've only seen maybe 10% of the actual story. And it seems like we only really see him on the edge of holding his sanity. And when he fully loses it, we're missing all that. And this scene right here is the first time we get to see him in that in that fully fucking lost his mind mode. So, uh, Bateman sees Christy running down the stairs, but she is too far away to catch her. So he does the only sensible option he has left. He times her pace for a moment, waits for the perfect time, and then drops the chainsaw down the center of the steps, perfectly timing it with Christy's exit of the staircase and cutting her pretty much in half. We do get a cool shot down the center of this spiraling staircase, with Christy laying at the bottom, a large puddle of blood oozing from under her and the chainsaw sticking out of her torso. Yeah, the the, the infamous chainsaw drop. You would um, have to be very, very, very fucking skilled and lucky to get that right. Yeah, you would have to, I would imagine, you would have to hold the throttle down for something. Even if you hit somebody with the chainsaw after it falling for a second and a half, two seconds. I don't think it would have enough to cut somebody in half. But regardless, it's a fucking awesome kill. Uh, it's one of, the, one of the cooler kills in the movie, I thought. Uh, another thing that's worth noting is whenever she kicks him in the face in this scene, he when he freaks out, he sounds like a completely different person. Uh, and that kind of gives you an idea of his the the alternate side of him that he's trying to fight off. I don't know if you noticed that, but whenever uh, he bites her and she kicks him in the face, 
Like he starts talking in this accent that sounds nothing like him. Like it sounds no, like a completely different person. And I think that's him. That's his other personality. That's him fully in the shit. So the next day, Bateman and Evelyn are eating at another fine restaurant. I know this is kind of like one of the points like this movie is trying to make, but damn, there are so many fucking fancy restaurants in this film. Like a quarter of this film is fancy restaurants. But anyway, Bateman is starting to become unglued. The madness is starting to take over. He kind of tries to explain this to Evelyn, who seems like she's in a complete different conversation. She just refuses to break up. Uh, Yeah, Bateman breaks up with her. She tries to basically say no, uh, but he's like, no, this this is happening. Uh, she starts crying and making a scene in front of everyone, which of course makes him even more uncomfortable. He gets up to leave and asked, uh, she asks where he is going, and he drops my favorite new saying, I gotta go return some videotapes. Yeah, like I said, every time he uses it, it's like the worst moments to use it. It's great. <laughs> Um, okay, so for this next part of the story, I'm going to try to make it, um, make as much sense as I can, but it's kind of a fever dream. If you have seen this film, you know what part I'm talking about. Uh, I'm just warning you, if you feel like you missed something or misunderstood something, you probably didn't. It's kind of crazy. So next, uh, we see Bateman walk up to an ATM machine. He puts his card in when he notices a stray kitten down by his feet. He picks the cat up and he starts to pet it when suddenly the ATM beeps and the screen says, feed me a stray cat. Not just any cat, a stray stray cat. cat. Yes. Uh, Bateman tries to stuff the cat into the card slot while also pulling a handgun from his coat and pointing (laughs) it at the cat. Like, what the fuck are you going to do with the gun? Like, are you going to use the gun to threaten the cat to get inside the slot? Uh, he was going. He's going to shoot the cat into the, the Is he going to shoot it so many times it's in little pieces and then put it in the slot? I, I don't understand this whole... I don't understand this whole scene. Well, this is him going fucking crazy. Uh, an old lady walks up and confronts him. He turns and shoots her dead. A cop car immediately pulls up, and I put in my notes, it reminds me of Grand Theft Auto. You know, like when you kill somebody in GTA and the cops automatically know you did it and just show up. You're like, what the fuck? You didn't even see me. Nobody could have seen me do this. Uh, So Bateman runs off and the cops begin to chase him. Two cop cars cut him off and hold him at gunpoint. Bateman starts shooting at them and then takes cover behind a parked car. The bullets then hit the cop cars and they explode into two large fireballs. Bateman looks confused at the explosion and then at the gun checks his coat and his hair, and then runs off again. Gotta make sure that hair's good. He then makes it to an office building where the security guard mistakens him for Mr. Smith. Bateman pulls the gun and kills the guard. Uh, He runs towards the exit, but quickly runs back in just to shoot the janitor. It's a respectable profession. Uh, (laughs) I was wondering if you were going to bring it up. I think we've almost got that in every episode since then. Hey, why does janitors keep coming up in our episode? I love how he like leaves. He's in that spinny door and he's like, the janitor comes out and he's like, oh, I got to spin back in and fucking just shoot this guy. 
Uh, he then runs into another office building that looks exactly the same, but he is in the right one this time. He goes up to his office where he sees the police helicopter looking for him. He picks up his office phone and he calls his lawyer, Harold Carnes, and he tells him it's Patrick Bateman and he wants to confess his crimes. He says he killed Paul Allen along with 20 to 40 other people, mostly escorts and homeless people. He also claims he taped some of these murders, made some of the murder victims watch these tapes before killing them, and if it couldn't get any worse, he admits he ate some of their brains and tried to cook some of their body parts. He is having a full-on mental breakdown on this message. He thinks he is finally going to get caught, and he ends the call by saying he will probably see him at Harry's bar tomorrow. What a way to end a murder confession. Yeah, I thought that was strange. I'll see you tomorrow. He really <laughs> trusts his lawyer. I think most lawyers would probably. I don't. I don't know. I. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe not most lawyers. I don't know. I feel like a lot of lawyers bike call the police at this point. Can Can you as a lawyer? I think. I think if you know that they did like, something, I think it's like being like a psychiatrist. Like if somebody comes in there and tells you they murdered somebody, you can go to the police. I don't know. Uh, All, the most most of the stuff I know about lawyers is from Better Call Saul. It's probably not a good education. Well, he wouldn't have gone to the police. I know he'd have been like you. You gotta you gotta call and ask for this Dyson model five six two. <laughs> yeah, and and Bateman's got the money. So yeah, he's definitely got the money. Uh, the next morning, we see Patrick do his uh, morning routine. He gets dressed in a suit and he heads out the door. He arrives at another apartment door soon after, and he puts on a sanding mask. The door is slightly open, and he walks inside. We notice right off the bat that this is Paul Allen's place, but it's empty and being painted white. We see in the living room there is an older lady showing a middle-aged couple the view. Bateman looks very confused when suddenly the older lady walks up behind him and asks him if he is her two o'clock. He says no, and she immediately gets suspicious. She asks if she can help him. He asks if Paul Allen lives here, and she says no. She then asks him to leave and to never come back. Yeah, did, did, he, did he actually kill Paul Allen, or has he imagined all this? We will talk about it at the end. Yeah, I assume we will talk about it probably in pretty good depth at the end. Back at the office, Jean begins to go through Bateman's desk where she finds his date book. She sits down and starts to look through it when she finds hundreds of cartoon drawings of women being tortured, mutilated, and murdered. I don't know why this caught my eye, but there is one drawing in the book where there's a shotgun stuck up a girl's ass. Yeah, I noticed quite a few weird drawings. There's one with a girl laid on her back with her legs spread with like... I don't know if it's supposed to be. I guess it's supposed to be blood coming out of her vagina. There's a lot of really, really weird drawings in here. Yeah, I was just like, dude, what kind of fucked up individual do you have to be to fantasize about literally putting a shotgun in someone's butthole? So, uh, I mean, the, he he admits to eating brains and trying to cook body parts. So, I that's pretty. That's pretty. That's pretty gruesome. 
I, I, I mean, dude, you you need to be in a there, mental hospital for shit like this. Yeah, this guy definitely. I think this movie covers it pretty well. He needs to be in a mental hospital. Oh man! By the way, Jean, Chloe, whatever her name is, the the brown bunny, the name of the movie. Mm. It is not kids. We then see Bateman join his friends at another fancy bar when he spots his lawyer on the other side of the room he brings up the confession message from the night before and Harold thinks it was a prank he thinks Bateman is actually someone named Davis and that there is no way Bateman could murder anyone because he is such a dork Bateman tells him he is Bateman and that he really did kill Alan Harold gets pretty pissed at this point and tells him that there's no way he killed Paul Allen because he had dinner with Allen twice in London 10 days ago. Bum, 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 bum. Oh, yeah. Man. He walks away, leaving Bateman stunned. I probably should have played it then. Bateman sits back down at the table with his friends who are discussing Ronald Reagan and Bateman is kind of reflecting on the situation and in a very fancy way explains that he is basically bummed that he got away with everything he has done. He craved the punishment from his actions that never came despite him even confessing to it. He also did not learn any new deeper understanding about his condition or why he feels the need to destroy everyone and make them feel the same pain and emptiness that he feels. We zoom into Patrick Bateman's face during this monologue and then the screen goes black. And that is the end of American Psycho. Or is it? Or is it? No, that's there's a that's, sequel that's that no actual... one talks about. <laughs> is there? Uh, not, with, uh, not with Patrick Bateman, though. No. Yes. Oh, he. Okay. Me, so I would imagine not with Christian Bale as Patrick Bateman. No, Christian Bale's not in it. Um, That's why nobody talks about it. So Mila, Kun- Mila Kunis is in it, though. Uh, so she is the main character of the movie, and Patrick Bateman is in the very beginning. I can't remember if she's like somehow related to him or something and she's like i don't know she's like 15 or something and she is at his house and he's like i think he's telling her about him murdering people or he's like training her how to murder people and she murders him he dies within the first like five minutes of the movie yeah it don't sound very good yeah it's uh one of the most hated sequels to ever exist um, nobody affiliated with American Psycho says it's canon. They think it's dumb. No, no, and, I would imagine with the way that they did the first one that they would wouldn't consider that canon. Well, even even uh, Mila Kunis now uh, condemns the movie and says she wishes she would have never done it. Mm, well, hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah. So, do you? Because I I I know. That it was obviously, uh, it's left uh, ambiguous for a reason. It was done that way on purpose. Do you think Patrick Bateman really killed people? Or was he just hallucinating the entire time? Uh, So, I think it was a a bit of both. 
Um, I know that they, you know, purposely made this movie where it didn't lean one way or the other. Like I read many things with the director, uh, which was also the two the two women who wrote the screenplay, and it was very much, you know, on on purpose to make it where you're you're not sure. I don't think there's really enough evidence to really say like he totally imagined all of it or he totally did all of it. I'm in the camp of I think he did kill some of them people, but do well, I think he killed all of those people? Do you think no. he killed Paul Allen? Um Yes, I do. I do think he killed Paul Allen. And the reason why I think he killed Paul Allen is because one no one seems to fucking actually know anybody else's name in this movie. Everybody that works together and shit fucking thinks that somebody else is somebody else. So do I think the lawyer really had dinner with Paul Allen in London? I think he thinks he did, but he probably had fucking dinner with Halberstram or whatever. You know, who fucking knows who it was, but probably wasn't Paul Allen. Number two, why would... All of a sudden, Paul Allen disappeared. Well, my my argument to that would be Paul Allen. Paul Allen's like the vice president. Nobody nobody confuses him as anybody else. So I, I the lawyer's every, literally having dinner in another country. He disappears because he went to another country. That's what the lawyer says. Like he packed up and went on like a fucking vacation to to Europe. And there's the whole Paul Allen's house being not actually or his apartment not being his actual apartment like that lady is like no he doesn't live here there's multiple ways you can go i don't really have i I, i'm with you i think some of this was real and some of it wasn't i don't think it's one way or the other but as far as paul allen i'm pretty split on if he was using somebody else's he killed's apartment and he never actually killed paul allen so if he killed Paul Allen, that means that whoever owned the uh, real estate, whoever owned the building that Paul Allen, his apartment, obviously didn't want the bad publicity, so they covered up the murders. Yeah, actually, I was reading through theories about this movie, and I didn't really know what to make of the apartment. And I did come across somebody who said that... um you know, that's happened in real life where somebody has covered up some kind of murder or something because it would hurt a very expensive and exclusive property value. It's happened so much that they now have to legally tell you when something like that has happened in the house. But generally, it's not like covered up, like hide the bodies covered up. They just try to they cut, try to cover up the past of you finding out what happened in, in the house. That would be a pretty extensive murder to cover up. Yeah, I agree. Um, And I'm not saying that's what happened, but for such an exclusive place in New York, I mean, you're talking probably some of the most rich and powerful people in the world live probably in his building. It's not not out of the realm of possibility. So, So I think on the evidence that he hallucinated... Most or everything, or at least the Paul Allen part, would be that. And the fact that they actually, the private investigator says that 
he was at what what was he at dinner? They went to a dinner. They were at like Remember? Atlantis or whatever, which yeah, is they like were, the gambling or whatever. But yeah, they said that they were there with him, so that might explain why he was like he he didn't catch a break. He was actually with them, and he hallucinated the whole Paul Allen thing. I think that on the evidence of the hallucination side of it could be somebody with really bad uh, schizophrenic hallucinations that he's starting to slip out of control. And we do know that he has a fascination with serial killers because he talks of, he mentioned serial killers like three different times in this movie. So with that having like uh, really bad, like schizophrenic hallucinations or something, um, him kind of tying those two things together, I think that makes some sense. The cop cars exploding, like even him in the movie, look, he looks at the gun like, what the fuck? I mean, I totally think all that stuff's definitely imagined, but I will say on the alibi for the night Paul Allen died, I think that's really, you can explain that away really easily by saying that him and Marcus um, Halberstram you never seen any scenes with them together. So for all we know, Marcus Halberstram thinks that Patrick Bateman is somebody else. That's the that, problem with this whole story is, is no one knows who the fuck anybody actually is. That is a good theory, but for that to be correct, that means Paul Allen's lawyer, this vice president of this company, who nobody has mistaken anybody for Paul Allen yet, his own lawyer had dinner with him in another country and mistaked him for somebody else. And whoever owned this building decided to try to cover up like a 20 to 40 person body murder that took place in this building. It's a lot that would have to fall in place for that. I think there's just a lot that really points towards he never actually really killed Paul Allen. But I don't know. There's a, there's a lot of evidence that goes the other way, too. I am on the train that I believe some of this movie was real and some of what we've seen was not real. Like, I think in the beginning, like the bloody sheets that we see, I think that was uh, probably legit. Like, he probably was killing. I don't know why that would have been a, a hallucination. I think it's really interesting that they left this movie so uh, open and actually, so when I was, I I did look up the end and read a little bit about it because I was, I was split. I felt like some of this stuff was real and some of it wasn't. And apparently a lot of people, most people think that it was all fake. Based off the end, they think it was all hallucinated. And the lady who did the movie said that that was one of her biggest mistakes was not putting a better ending on it because people weren't supposed to think that it was all hallucinated. Yeah, I see I seen her say that, yeah. yeah. That she that she really wants that she wants everyone to be in the situation we're in where we really could fall either side. Yeah, I think I think she had made the comment that it was supposed to be some of it was hallucinated and some of it was real and people have to try to decipher for themselves. But there is no true answer. Yeah, I think she was saying like she had went a little too far with the with the ATM and the cat or the 
the cars exploding because then that kind of made you question was all of it well i think she she specifically mentioned the lawyer scene too with him saying that he just had dinner twice with paul allen and like france or wherever wherever it was that she wishes that she would have did something different there because that cemented a lot of people's mind that this whole thing was just a hallucination and that wasn't supposed to be the case yeah another thing i've i really think is interesting about this movie and hope a lot of people pick up on is you know we, we see so many of these fancy restaurants and it was like they they're and this is so true for real life is they all have these stupid silly unique names and they all have these same fancy, you know, you pay stupid amounts of money for almost nothing food. It's almost art on a plate instead of actual food. Um, so, you know, obviously these people are going to these places not because it's so great, but because of status. Like, I think this movie does a phenomenal job kind of pointing the finger and laughing at, like, American excess and consumerism that really swallows up, especially at that time when the economy was so booming. And it's just so funny because once you kind of pick up on it, because you almost think like, why is there, why is half this movie take place in a different fancy restaurant? And it's because they're making fun of those restaurants that exist in real life. Yeah. And they're making fun of those people who there's one of one of the guys at the end of the movie, one of his friends says, I'm not really hungry, but I really want us to just get a I won't be happy until we get a reservation somewhere. And it was not because he was worried about where he was going to eat. It was just the status like you're a loser if you already don't have your reservation at this cool restaurant. You know, with the with the reservation thing, and I, I was thinking a little deeper into everything being a hallucination. So we get his own version of himself. He's narrating the story, and he tells you know how he's the successful, rich uh, guy who works in finance in New York, and he he really he narrates the story himself, but. Everybody who thinks he's somebody else, everybody who references Patrick Bateman says he's a loser. Yeah. Everybody says, like, oh, he could never do that. He's a loser. He's almost like so, the Lewis. So we're only <laughs> seeing the part of the Patrick Bateman that he's describing. But what if all that's a hallucination? Yeah. What if he's not really as up there in status and successful as he, yeah, he thinks he is. He what may if he's be, actually a loser? Yeah, what if he's a Lewis? What if he's the Lewis of the group? Yeah, that's, uh, that's you know. That's probably how Lewis would present himself. Uh, <laughs> you know, we just don't know with that, knowing that he's crazy and a lot of this stuff was hallucinated. Once you, once you get that, it kind of blows the whole movie open. Like... Because the whole movie's being narrated from his perspective. And I thought that was one really interesting thing was that everybody else who describes him says he's like a dweeb or a loser. Uh, what if he's not even like super rich? What if his apartment's not even as nice as, as what we see in the movie? Because we're, we're seeing what he's describing. Because we're seeing essentially what he starts narrating in the beginning. 
the the movie starts out as a uh, narration. Another thing that uh, has nothing to do with any of that, but I try I really tried to wrap my brain around there being something behind the scenes or something that I missed. So Lewis's uh, wife or fiance that he is hooking up with. He, when he goes and fucks her the last time, I already think I know what you're gonna she say. She makes this comment like, "Hey, you know," and she's like, "Never mind." And then she's like, "Well, if I don't see you before Easter, uh, I hope you have a good Easter." And then he's leaving, and she calls his name again, like she really wants to tell him something or that she knows something that he doesn't know, and that's never addressed in the movie. At least not not that I could wrap my head around. Yeah, I was thinking she was going to kill herself or something. like. I, I did think that, but I thought that that didn't really make sense to put that in there because she's not even talked about the entire rest of the movie. It was like she knew something that he didn't know. If you're watching this movie for the first time and you see that, you think... Is the police on to him and she knows it because they've questioned her and she just don't want to mention it to him? Or It gives you that vibe that she knows something that he doesn't know and we don't ever get to find that out what that is. And that, that really bothered me. Did you have any theories on that? N- no, the only thing I had was that, you know, she was wanting to tell him maybe bye or that she was going to kill herself or just something along that lines because we know she's really depressed. She doesn't hardly leave her, her bed. Um, no, I felt like that scene was set up for something and I felt like they had to have went and cut something out. And yeah, I thought of it. There's something missing from there. Cause that scene is, is set up. Other than that, you don't even need that scene in the movie. I mean, yeah. we already know he's fucking her. We've already seen that. Like, he's already said that. She's already acknowledged it. Other than that, that scene doesn't have any point to it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think that there was something that was in the original story that didn't end up in the movie. I racked my brain trying to think of the most obvious thought is she was going to kill herself, but then why would that be in the movie? Because she's never mentioned or talked about again. It would have made sense had he gotten, like, a phone call or something that she had killed herself, but... We don't ever get that. Uh, I thought maybe she was pregnant or something. Uh, But that doesn't make sense because they never go back and touch on that. It just doesn't make sense. Um, Ratings and kill count. I'm going to jump into that. Um, So the total kills for this is, it kind of varies, 16, I would say, give or take one or two. Pretty high kill count. Uh, So... This list, the uh, official list, is Sidewalk Woman, who was killed off-screen 13 minutes into the movie. Oh, you didn't catch that? No, I did not think he killed her. I thought he was, like, being weird, but I didn't think he killed her. No, he he kills her, because the next scene is him at the laundry, or the dry cleaners, trying to turn in the sheet with the blood on it. Yeah, I went right over my head. Yeah. Yeah, that was one thing I had in my notes, but... I know you had a lot to read through in the beginning, going through the plot. But yeah, I thought it was interesting that they, they put that in there, that he kills her off screen. It's kind of a hint towards uh, what we talked about later on, uh, and that most of the 
these kills, most of the stuff that's going on, we don't actually get to see. And that's just kind of the first hint of it. So then we have Al, who was stabbed repeatedly in the gut. Paul Allen, chopped repeatedly with an axe. The model from the club, who was beheaded off screen. Coat closet girl number one, killed off screen. Coat closet girl number two, killed off screen. Graffiti girl, who was killed off screen. Elizabeth, who was drugged and stabbed, question mark. Uh, Christy, who was hit with a falling chainsaw. Elderly woman, who was shot in the chest. Cop number one, cop number two, cop number three, cop number four. Security guard, gunned down on the job. And janitor, gunned down on the job. I noticed that they actually left out the bathroom girl from Paul Allen's apartment. Yeah. Did not include her, so you could uh, easily say... 17. I, I thought some of those, though, I wouldn't put those in, um, well, a lot of those in the kill count. That's the kill A lot count. of them didn't die in the movie. Like, the, the people in the Paul Allen's apartment are just kind of dead bodies that are on screen for two seconds. But hey, they want to include them. Let them include them. I don't make the rules, I just report it. Um, Favorite kill, so... This is your movie, so you're up first. Okay, I'm going to go with Paul Allen being killed if he was actually killed. I hated Paul Allen, thought he was a <laughs> fucking douche, and it was a nice shiny axe that we get a couple shots with. Really, almost the most gore we get in the entire movie was the blood splatter, the famous scene where half, his, half of his face is splattered with blood. Uh, I would go a close second to the chainsaw kill in the stairwell, though. Yeah, my favorite kill is definitely Paul Allen. It's iconic. Um, I mean, anybody who's seen this movie once or twice, this is this is what they remember from it. Everybody remembers the Huey Lewis in the news, the the you know the raincoat or whatever over the business suit, the shiny fancy axe. The the moonwalk and the dance. I mean, it's it's iconic, you know. So it's definitely Paul Allen. Um, yeah, and my close second was definitely Christy because uh, you time a chainsaw drop to cut a woman in half. I mean, <laughs> that's pretty impressive. Good shit. All right, so rating makes you wonder: Did he actually kill her? Yeah, I don't think he did. That would be a pretty insanely. I Lucky don't think drop. he killed either one of them girls that night, but that's, you know, that's my opinion. All right, ratings. So, I guess I'm up first. Um, I gave this a 4.1. Uh, this movie's an uh, uh, absolute classic, obviously. For one, the acting was amazing. Christian Bale killed it in this movie. This This movie actually has a ton of really, really big, or what ended up being big, actors in it or actresses i thought the sets and the cinematography were really good i i thought the sets with all the fancy ass fucking apartments and and restaurants thought they did a really good job setting the mood and the stage of late 80s new york rich financial district uh i will say i do wish that we got more gore and and special effects in this movie, but fortunately, the story does carry it enough that it doesn't need those to still be a really good movie. 
Um, I thought they did a, a really good job of showing the downfall of somebody who's losing their fucking mind. Uh, so much so, by the end of the movie, we actually have no idea what's real and what's, what's just in his head. It, they did it really ambiguous, and that allows you to watch it. You could watch this movie multiple times knowing that and see it in two completely different lights, which I think is really cool. Like, you can watch this movie as he kills everybody, and then you can go back and watch this movie as he's hallucinating everything, and both those stories have connections that make sense. Overall, it's an absolute classic. Must watch for any any horror fan. So, my rating of this was a 4. So, we're pretty close. Uh... Yeah, I mean, you already said most of the good stuff about it. I mean, it's a classic movie. My complaints, we don't get to see enough of the kills, definitely. And I really could have did without the whole kind of fever dream part that, you know, I'm not a big fan of that part of the movie. It's the only part of the movie I don't really care for. That and the dog stomping to death scene. Um, They could have took those out and I would have liked the movie a little better. Uh, I would, I tell you, I would have, I would love to see this movie. This could be a five-star movie if you combine this movie with Maniac. God, I know. That's why I said Maniac's like more of a slasher because you actually get to see some awesome kills and awesome effects. This is more psychological, uh, trying to figure it out. Like The kills aren't the main part of the story in this movie. It's just something that happens in the story, so much so that they don't even show the actual kills happening. I don't think... We watch a single person die in this whole movie, which is, in my opinion, as a slasher fan, is a shame. I think that they could do this story. If they added the gore into this story and good special effects, they could make a really good, like, 10-part miniseries out of this. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I don't, I don't know if they ever will. They, I did see that they were trying to, come out with a show or something but it wasn't on like a hbo or something it was on like a regular tv and i was like you'll never be able to have this show be worth a fuck on like regular tv you know it's just not it's just not possible yeah i agree if if you're not gonna enhance this with more gore and and special effects and bring it closer to what the book was then leave it alone it's a classic as it is you you don't need to go in and remake it into a show if you're a big fan of this movie there is a lot of information that we did not get to go go look it up go research it there's a lot of stuff out there there's like i said there's a ton of drama before they made the movie there's a bunch of shit when they made the movie um there is a ton of like facts and stuff about it like cool little info there's just stuff we couldn't really get to but um if you're into it Man, it's it's out there. So uh, once again, we thank you guys for listening. Please give us a follow or like if you enjoy the show. Check out the website. Check out the socials. Tell a friend, a family member, or your favorite greedy, soulless Wall Street banker about the show. And we hope to see you next time. We got to go return some videotapes. Yeah.